Hello, ladies. <laughs> That's my voice coming through the speakers. All right. Um, we are so incredibly excited just to see you guys. Um, it has been a long road to get here, not really, just not really knowing what this was going to look like. So there's been a lot of prayer that's gone into what God wanted this to look like. And um, when we were praying earlier, I just just got this piece about the idea that um, it was never great to him. Like we, there was so many things that felt like obstacles or just, just trying to figure out if this was even going to work. Um, and, um, and here we are and he knew exactly what this was going to look like. And so just was a sweet reminder. I felt like of, of his, um, seeing all things and knowing all things and having purpose and just a reminder to me today. So, um, I'm Whitney Loria. I uh, am leading MOPS with Frankie Batten this year. Um, we took over at the uh, beginning of this year, and um, yeah, we, we're really pumped that you guys are here. We're excited for, um, for what we have for this evening. Um, when I uh, think about what this was going to look like, it was you know, we're just excited to, to see you all. I've already said that. I'm going to cover it again. A little, a little extra. Um, also, a little bit nervous. I would be happier, much happier sitting at your table talking to you people. But standing up here talking through microphones feels just a little, a little different. <laughs> so, you know. Um, we uh, have, this year, we have um, bulletins for you guys. And so there are... Um, there are different announcements that are going to be in there. Um, your questions for at the end of the meeting are going to be in there. Some notes throughout, throughout um, the speaker. Um, just some goodies that are in there and a little bookmark that just gives you the dates for our future meetings and play dates just to kind of keep you guys aware of what's going on. Um, before we get going any farther, we have Nick Missios, who's going to come and share about another ministry that um, Lakeview is starting up. So, Hi, ladies. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you, Frankie and Wendy. Uh, so, I want to tell you guys about Pops. Uh, <laughs> So, Pops is a ministry that Lakeview is starting uh, beginning this coming Saturday to minister to dads in the same age range as, with the same age range kids as you guys have. Um, the genesis of the idea was I noticed meeting with a few dads in groups and individually and hearing them all talk about how they were struggling uh, and how they felt overwhelmed by what they had to do and the expectations on them. And I looked at these dads and they were good dads and I was like, the good dads think they're struggling and failing. Uh, the guys that I would be like, man, I, I want some pointers from this guy. I can't imagine how just the, the body as a whole is feeling. Um, they needed some combination of, of equipping, but also just of support. And, uh, you know, I looked through books, and, and, and if you scroll through any like book lists you, about parenting, you see lots of flowers on covers and lots of ladies looking at you. And there's not a whole lot of books for guys and dads, and the ones that are kind of like, you stink, do better. Uh, and I felt God, guys needed a little bit more of a, a full-fledged picture of, of encouragement as dads. So I was on a road trip with my wife, Angel, um, and we were, I was like, what we need is like a mops, but for dads. And we'll call it pops. 
And if you think at all too hard about the acronym, it breaks down entirely because there's not preschoolers anymore and it's padres or something. But, um, but so I pitched the idea. I just, that was kind of the idea was the best way to communicate it to the church leadership was what if we did mops for dads? We'll just call it pops. That'll be a placeholder name. And then it stuck. Um, and I was like, what if we called it this? And people was like, pops. I was like, what about this? Like pops. Um, so pops it is. Uh, we are going to be meeting once a month, just like you guys are. Uh, it's going to be on Saturday mornings. It was hard to find a time that, that everybody could make, and so I'm just trying to cast as wide a net as I can, and I understand that some dads can't make it. Um, but if we can get guys here as much as we can, uh, Saturday mornings, we just love to, to minister to and equip them, just like you guys are experiencing that here. Uh, I've seen a bunch of your husbands already registered, and that makes me super happy. Um, the goal when they walk out of here every month is going to be, I want them to be equipped, I want them to be encouraged, and I want them to be accompanied. I want them to feel like they're part of a community. I want them to walk away with practical things, uh, not super heavy talks, just like you guys are used to here. I want, how do I go home and put on one thing this, this month? How do I, whether it's how do I pray for my kids better, or how do I read to my kids better, or how do I find rest in my home and create rest in my home, or how do I manage media and social media with my kids, and all those topics that you guys have talked through, I'm, I'm hoping to get dads on the same page and we'll, we'll be growing together. I'm really excited about the guys that, I've, that are lined up to talk. I want to hear what they have to say about these things. Uh, and I hope that your husbands can make it too. Uh, it's 8.30 this Saturday. I think that's going to be the plan going forward. Is the fourth Saturday of the month, which feels arbitrary. Uh, but it is, so this is going to be the 23rd. Uh, at 8.30 in the morning, there will be snacks, just like y'all have. Uh, and... It'll last about two hours. So if you can give me your husbands for two hours, once a month, just think of it as an investment and the result that you're going to get on the back end for losing those two hours of yard productivity or whatever they were going to be doing, uh, I, I pray and trust that they will come out equipped to take care of you and your families better. Hello, <laughs> I'm back. Um, so we are going to start off tonight with a little bit of fun. We are going to do a game. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, we are going to do a bottle flip game. So I don't know how all you girls fare, but I want to see some good competitive people up in here. So each table is going to get one bottle. Sorry, Frankie. <laughs> one bottle. Um, each table is going to get one bottle. You're going to pick four ladies from your table to represent that table. Okay. So you pick the four ladies that you think are just going to knock it out of the park or flip the bottle, land it. Yeah. Um, once your four flips have come, you've completed those four flips at your table, your mentor mom will run so fast to the front of the room and they will have their own very own bottle to flip so out of those first four ladies mentor moms you're not allowed to participate in that no practicing we're going to get you fresh so um we're going to give you a countdown actually why don't y'all just talk amongst yourselves real fast figure out who who's going to represent for the table Y'all can stand up, get comfortable, figure out. Cause the, so the bottle's going to go from one person to the next to the next to complete those four flips. So, 
So Frankie just asked a good question. Does it have to be for? A, oh, a demo. I mean, I don't want to put y'all to shame. Oh, that's a demo right there. I mean, let's, let's see a lot of those ladies. First try right there. First try. So four ladies, four complete flips. All right. So, all right. <laughs> All right, well, I'm, I'm going to give you a countdown. When everybody's kind of ready, I like this. I like this. Okay, so moving around. That's what I like to see. All right, everybody ready? Can, can I get you somebody to raise their hand once your table's ready and assembled? Okay, we're assembled, assembled, assembled. All right, how y'all feeling, Katie? You got, you got your table? You got your people? Okay. All right. As soon as the fourth person flips, mentor moms run straight here. We already have your bottle. All right. So I'm going to give you a countdown from five, five, four, three, two, one, go. Table number three, Patrice Fry, mentor mom for table number three, bringing in that win. And what you get as a lovely prize to take home is the pride in knowing that y'all flip bottles better than anybody else in the room. So, congratulations. I am going to give the mic- microphone over to Miss Liz. Okay, well, that was fun. Am I the only one in the room who's never flipped a bottle before? Okay, I'm not surprised. So um, I am here to introduce Frankie. She's going to be our speaker today. And I want to thank both Frankie and Whitney for so graciously and willingly accepting the role to lead us at MOPS and to get this year going. They had lots of obstacles, but look, this is great. We're meeting together, and we can see each other, and it's, it's wonderful. We'll make the best of it. They've put a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, and a lot of heart into this gathering for us. So um, a little bit about Frankie. She's been married to David Batten for eight years and is a 
busy mom of three. She's got three kids, six, four, and one. She's led Bible studies at Tulane University with college students for 10 plus years. And the thing she says that she loves about it is seeing God change and mature students during their college years. So will you all join with me and welcome Whitney? Uh, welcome. I'm looking, I'm looking at Frankie and saying Whitney because they've become such a team. I mean, really, they have gelled. This is great. It's wonderful. So, Frankie, thank you. Come up here and share with us. Hi. <laughs> um, it's really exciting to see faces because we've been praying for you for months. And I think when Whitney and I first started talking about MOPS and what we wanted it to look like this year, um, working moms and moms who um, just were busy with kids during the day or homeschooled were really on our heart. And so it feels like such a grace from the Lord that this was the time that we could meet and that we couldn't have child care. <laughs> you had to figure that out um, because it meant that you could be here. Um, so tonight what I want to do is talk about the theme for the year. So the MOPS theme for the year is Decide to Rise and sort of set the stage for the speakers for the rest of the semester. We have some really great speakers lined up. I'm really excited. Um, so every year, MOPS International sets a theme this year, the theme is Decide to Rise, and all the moms from all the MOPS groups around the world talk about this theme. Um, Decide to Rise comes from Judges 4 and 5, which tell the story of a particular time in Israel's history where God used a woman named Deborah to sort of rouse the armies of Israel. They defeated their enemy. And when she looks back on her time, she writes a poem in Judges 5, and she says, um, I decided to rise as a mother in Israel, which is just a really cool metaphor. Um, and I am a 90s girl through and through, and so there's something about the idea of Deborah and decide to rise that just makes me feel like girl power, <laughs> um, spice up your life. But <laughs> as I think about, as I thought about the theme a little more, I think there's kind of two main elements to it. So the first is this idea of deciding which has some sort of intentionality to it, right? Like if it's date night, you decide to go to dinner and you decide you want Thai food instead of Indian. You've considered your options, you thought Thai food was the best. And then you say, okay, well, I want Bangkok Thai instead of Lily's, and I might think your decision is wrong there, but that's what you decide. <laughs> and then you look at the menu and you decide what you want to eat that night. So there's a, a bunch of options that you're considering and you're choosing to take some sort of intentional action to respond, um, resolve to do something. And so I think a natural next question is, well, decide to rise to what? <laughs> what are we rising to and how do we know? Um, as a mom, I often live in this constant state of response, right? Like I'm doing the dishes and somebody tugs on my leg and I say, please stop right now, I'm doing something. <laughs> um, I'm not typically sitting at the sink thinking, how do I respond to this kid who's tugging at my feet right now? Um, I just respond. 
Um, and how I respond to that moment is evidence of what is already in my heart. And in some ways, what I've already decided, I've wanted or what I've already decided is true. Um, in Luke 6, 4, Jesus says, the good, the good person and of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So when the good person, life squeezes them, goodness comes out. <laughs> Um, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. It's the same thing. Like, evil person gets squeezed. Evil is what comes out, is what is in their heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I think what Jesus is saying is that what I do on a day-to-day basis is a product of what I already believe, what is already in my heart, um, what I've already decided, whether intentionally or unintentionally, unintentionally is true. Um, In his book, The Dynamic Heart in Daily Life, Jeremy Pierre says, there's no such thing as generic anger. You can insert any emotion there. There's no such thing as an objective anger or we all get angry about the same thing in the same way. He says, there's only a heart believing certain things, wanting certain things, choosing certain things. And anger was just his impassioned method of getting those things. How I respond to something and what I respond to depends upon what I already believe. Um, And what I already believe, I need to get that thing. Uh, In other words, I think that we tell ourselves stories um, and we convince ourselves of a story, um, something that is true of the world. We are not far from New Year's Eve, and so you might have made some resolutions or know that that's what people do around New Year's Eve. Um, And they might have been things like, I want to sleep more, I want to read my Bible more, I want to pray more. And part of what you've done in a resolution is you've told yourself a story. So your story may have gone something like this. Um, Once upon a time, there was a mom who was really crabby with her kids. And so she knew that she lived in a world where there was a loving and kind and patient God. And so she resolved to read her Bible more so that she would be reminded to be more patient and kind and loving like God is. Or your story might have been something like, once upon a time, there was a mom who just had a baby, and she resolved to exercise so that she would feel more comfortable in her skin. These are just examples, but we tell ourselves stories all of the time. Um, In a 2008 Desiring God conference, Professor Dan Taylor said, human beings are story-shaped creatures. We are born into stories. We're raised into stories. We live and die in stories. Whenever we have to answer a big question, who am I? Why am I here? What should I do? What happens to me when I die? We tell a story. And the single best way of conceiving of faith and a faithful life is as, in, as a story in which you are a character. And your life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. It's what you were created for. I think one of the best arguments for us being storied creatures is that God gives us a book. <laughs> when God decides to disclose himself to us, he doesn't just give us the scientific method or a list of do's and don'ts or um, just the quote-unquote cold hard facts of life. He gives us history and he gives us a narrative. There's a large portion that's poetry and letters that were handwritten from one friend to another. Um, he gives us parables. He gives us a text that starts with, in the beginning, which sounds a lot like once upon a time, and ends with, and surely I am coming soon, amen. 
He gives us a story and then calls us to live a life continually deciding to rise to that story. The book of Ephesians is another example of this. Um, in the book, Paul tells, spends the first three chapters telling a story. Um, he tells us that we were once dead in our sins, but God has made us alive in Christ. He's raised us up with Christ and given us good works for, for us to do for him. Paul tells of how we were once a people alienated from God, but now we are a new community from all different nations who have been reconciled to him through Christ. And then we come to chapter 4, and he says, I therefore urge you, walk in a manner worthy of which you have been called. In other words, walk in a manner worthy of this gospel story, um, the story that you are a part of. And so what I hope to do today um, is something really simple. It's just to remind you of that story that we're living in. Um, and I hope that that better helps us to better answer the question, what are we deciding to rise to, or what should we decide to rise to? Um, there are a lot of ways to retell the Bible story, and I am going to try to not go down rabbit trails. <laughs> um, but I'm going to also tell it through the theme of light and dark, because I think it's one of my personal favorite themes of the Bible, um, because as people, I think it's not hard to look around at the world and sense that it's not right, um, and sense that there's darkness in it. Um, we know of hospitalized children, of decaying bodies, of difficult marriages, and the darkness can be disorienting. If you've ever been in a storm without a flashlight, which happened to us this year, our one-year-old literally lost the flashlight right before the power went out, um, you can be in the most familiar space imaginable, your home, and not know what is where, um, because it, it, the darkness is disorienting. But God has given us his word, which um, Psalm 119 calls a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so I pray that this old story reminds you what is true, and I'm just going to retell the Bible story. <laughs> um, so our story starts in darkness. The face of the earth is without form and void, and darkness spreads across the face of the deep. In the beginning, we're introduced to God, and the first words that he speaks are, let there be light. And that sets into motion his creative work of forming the sky and the birds and the beasts and all of creation. We're introduced to him as a God of love, and his love overflows when he says, let us make man in our image. And we're introduced to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. And God gives them the task of filling the world and ruling over it as representatives of his kind rule. And he declares that all that he has made is good. There is no darkness. There's one law in the garden, and that's that Adam and Eve must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if we've read our Bibles, we know that this lasts about a page and a half <laughs> before um, Adam and Eve make a grab for power and a grab for knowledge, and they are deceived by the serpent and eat the fruit, breaking God's one law. Um, and immediately we see darkness. We see relational tensions, blame shifting, shame. We see Adam and Eve hiding from the God who created them. And as a consequence of their disobedience, they're separated from God. They are cast out of the garden, and all creation is subject to death and decay. And every person thereafter inherits a world 
that is full of death and decay and inherits a heart that is full of darkness. But even in the midst of this judgment, there is a surprising hope that there would be a seed of Eve, an offspring of Adam, who would crush the head of the serpent. Um, but doing so would cost him. It said his, his heel would be bruised. And so the rest of the narrative, the rest of our story is, is asking who will be this seed? Who will be the offspring that finally crushes evil? And so men and women are cast out of the garden, and there is bloody evidence of the fall. There are broken family dynamics, murder, floods, sickness, rebellion, pride. This was not the way that God had created the world originally. Um, fast forward a bit in our story, and we see God choosing a man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. And God makes some promises to them that relate to Eve's offspring. He tells Adam, he's going, uh, Abraham he's going to bless him, that he will be the father of a great nation, that they will inherit a land, and that they will be a blessing to the nations around them. They are meant to be light in a dark world. And we see throughout the book of Genesis, God walking with this family through generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And they have these varying degrees of trial and of failure. And there's our stories of darkness. <laughs> there's our stories of deception and of sibling rivalry, and of slander, and of prostitution, and of trafficking. Um, and these are just summaries. But God has, t- God has tethered himself to them. He promises to be their God. And so there's still this question playing in the background. Could, how, could these men be the ones who are going to crush um, the snake? Are these, these people seem dark. How could they defeat evil? Enter our next scene, and God's people, Israel, live in Egypt for hundreds of years, and they're enslaved by a pharaoh. They cry out to God, and God raises up a deliverer, Moses, and God does most of the work in securing his people's freedom. He sends plagues, he dries out the Red Sea so that his people can cross, and then waters come crashing down so that their enemies are drowned. Um, God himself leads them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, which almost is like changing the light to the darkness and the darkness to the light. Um, And he leads them to the base of Sinai where he once again unites himself to them by his law. God promises blessing if they disobey and curses if they disobey. And the language that he uses, even here, um, is of light and darkness. Deuteronomy 28 says, And if you faithfully obey the commands and the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, blessed shall you be in this city, and blessed shall you be in the field, and blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and your young flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do his commandments and his statutes that I command today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will strike you down with madness and blindness and confusion, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. And as you know about our characters thus far, and probably as you know about yourself, um, they are in a dark world with darkened hearts, and so they very quickly (laughs) disobey. Um, They very quickly forget God's law, his promises, his deliverance. And so this means that they are under the curse of the law. 
they eventually do get to Canaan, um, which is the land that God had promised to Abraham. Um, but they will always have enemies to fight um, without because they do not drive out the nations that are there, like God said. And they're always tempted to worship the gods of their enemies. So they have an enemy within as well. Um, and the rest of Israel's history is this downward spiral <laughs> in a darkened world with their darkened hearts. And sometimes they have a good leader like our girl Deborah or King David, but mostly they continue in their stubbornness against God. And so God speaks to them through the prophets and he calls his people to turn back to him. And there are warnings like Isaiah 8 that say, um, uh, and they will <laughs> look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Um, but the people continue to disobey and they continue to ignore um, God's commands. And so they are captured by their enemies. They are taken out of the promised land, just like they were taken out of the garden. Um, and after 400 years in exile, some of them return and they rebuild the temple. But it is both a joy and a sadness because it is not what it was. The Bible says, um, but many of the priests and Levites, this is Ezra 3, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Um, all of the, sorry, all of the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. Even in the midst of this great moment of light where the temple is being rebuilt, there is still darkness. There is still something missing. Um, <coughs> and our final prophet in the Old Testament is Malachi, who even after the people have returned from exile is still spending a lot of that scroll exposing the darkness and the corruption of God's people. Um, but he reminds them that God has not forgotten his promises. And Malachi says, Malachi 4 says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. When Malachi's scroll is closed, there are another 400 years of silence. And the question still remains, why is it so dark? <laughs> who will crush the head of the snake? Um, and by this point in our story, we are painfully aware that Israel cannot obey and we have inherited that same heart. And because of their failures and because of our failures, we are deserving of God's punishment. We are under the curse of the law. And then we turn the page of our Bibles, and we hear John 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, um, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus, who came claiming to be the light of the world. Um, the true and better Adam, the one who is finally fully able to crush the head of that ancient serpent. We see him walk on earth performing miracles. He heals children. He heals blind men. He calms storms. He casts out demons. 
He raises people from the dead. He touches people who are unclean and makes them clean. Um, We see him teaching, saying things like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. Or a little while longer, the light is with you, referring to himself. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you might become sons of light. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not walk in darkness. We see him sinless, doing all that Adam and Israel could not do, obeying every command of the law, no darkness within his heart. And then we come to the darkest day in history, literally. The sun is eclipsed, and we see a man, Jesus, beaten, naked, bleeding, mocked, and hung on a cross for all to see. And as the hours pass, the earthquakes, the sun is eclipsed, and with his dying breath, he says, it is finished. And with that, all of God's anger at all of the sin and all of the injustice and all of the darkness of the human heart is laid upon Jesus, his own son, the perfect man. Um, Neither we nor Israel could escape the darkness we have inherited, but he became a curse for us. And Jesus is taken down from the cross, his side pierced, blood and water pour out. His body is wrapped in cloth strips and he is buried in a new tomb and a stone is rolled in front. Um, And his followers, disoriented by the darkness, wonder if maybe he wasn't the promised one after all. Three days later, a group of women head to the tomb only to find it burst open. The clothes that wrap Jesus' body are folded and lay neatly to the side, and an angel declares that he is alive. The news of the resurrection spreads, and 1 Corinthians summarizes it this way, that he died for our sins according with the scripture, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of who are still alive, though some may have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles. Jesus is alive. Death could not claim him. The darkness could not overcome him. It had no case against him. He he has crushed the head of the serpent and was wounded in the process. And by his wounds, we are healed. He walks the earth for another 40 days until he is taken up into heaven still in a body, to sit at the right hand of God where he is currently ruling and reigning. Um, And while he is gone in bodily form, he's exchanged his bodily presence for his presence by his spirit, which now dwells within all of those who put their trust in his saving work. Um, And now the spirit illuminates the world. It continues the mission of bringing light to the darkest and saddest and most confusing corners of it by his presence. Wherever a Christian is and wherever a Christian preaches this good news, this story, and wherever a Christian decides to rise to live a life as if this story were true, because it is. (laughs) This is not the end of the story. Um, God promises that he will return, and on that day he will banish darkness forever. Every tear will be wiped away, and all of his enemies will be fully and finally defeated. We will be with him in a new city that has no need for light because 
The glory of God illuminates it. The Lamb is the light. And we end our story in Revelation 22, where he says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So what does this have to do with moms? <laughs> what does this have to do with deciding to rise? And I think the answer is everything. <laughs> everything, because if this is the true story of the world, and I think it is, then there is nothing that we should decide to rise to that is not informed by this. Um, I was talking to a friend earlier about how the ministry of motherhood just feels so close up all of the time. Like there's always just needs in front of you, whether that's cleaning up um, spilled milk or making breakfast and then making lunch and then making dinner um, or just a myriad of things that are right here and then add on top of that um, social media, which is just in our faces all of the time and I think teaching us what to respond to and how to respond to it, what to decide to rise to. Um, but as we consider what it means to decide to rise, there is nothing that the Bible calls us to rise to that is not part of this story. And the things that it calls us to rise to are, are not crazy things. <laughs> they are things like obedience and love. John 15 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, which means you have to know how he has loved you, <laughs> to love one another. Um, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I commanded you. We know even better than the disciples understood in this moment what Jesus would do to lay down his life for his friends, what the, the fullness of that story was. Um, the Bible calls us to lives of humility and gentleness and patience and long-suffering. This is the rest of Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Walk in a manner worthy of this story. Um, Colossians 3.12 picks up some of these same things. It says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. Which means you have to know how the Lord has forgiven you. Um, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father through him. We act our parts in this story every time we decide to love and to pray for a crying or sick child in the middle of the night. Every time you give your body, like Jesus gave his body, 
in birth or in carrying a child using your muscles and your bones. Um, Every time you deal kindly and graciously with a whiny child, giving thanks to God for the way he has dealt kindly and graciously with you. Every time you discipline and correct a wayward heart like God did for his people Israel and like he does for us. Each time you bring a meal or you care for a sick neighbor or you love the lost at a great cost to yourself, um, either financially or with your time, you are participating in this story. As the light of Christ shines forth from his spirit within you, you are bringing light into a dark world. These may seem like pretty normal activities, right? Like you don't get a sticker saying, I loved my kids today (laughs) the same way that you get a sticker that says, I voted or I got a vaccine. Like this is work that nobody sees. But this is work that only makes sense in this story. And there are other stories out there. Um, There are stories like we are just accidental atoms, and in which case you have no need to be patient and long-suffering because there is, this is just random. Um, There is no hope for endurance. Um, There are stories that claim that what is real is only what we can see or that we can touch. And in that case, nature really is just red in tooth and claw, and the only way that I can get what I want is to fight for it. Um, There's no reason to be patient or kind if it's just a dog-eat-dog world. Um, And you're free to consider these stories. I find this one compelling, (laughs) that there is a beloved son who gave up all that he had to reach into the darkness of our world and to invade that with light. So this semester, we're going to hear from some older women who have decided to rise to live very basic Christian lives. They are women who have believed this story and love it and love the Lord of this story. Um, And they're women that I am really excited to learn from (laughs) because I've heard of people like Miss Anna Shadaline's long suffering or Miss Lisa Becker's hope in trial or of the way Annette just loves the lost. Um, She just loves them. (laughs) And so I'm excited to hear from them because they are women who've decided to rise in categories that matter to the heart of God. My prayer is that these women this semester would encourage us to become mothers who decide to rise, to put the bulk of our energy into what God has called us to and nothing else, not be distracted by other things. Um, So I'm going to pray, and then if y'all have to go to the bathroom or get drinks or anything like that, um, go ahead, feel free to do that, and then we'll come back for a table discussion. Um, Father, we are um, just grateful, um, Lord, that you are the author of history, or the author of the greatest story ever told, Lord, that stories that we love are just echoes and traces of this true one. Um, Father, we thank you that you have brought us in to that story, Lord. Um, God, we pray that you would make us mothers who decide to rise to the very basic things that you have called us to and the very invisible things that you have called us to. God, whether that is um, to love a crying child or to be patient with a whiny one or to just look towards you in hope as we look at the relational difficulties of our children's lives. Lord, there are um, so many lives that are affected by the hearts of the women in this room, Lord. And so, um, God, I pray that you would bless them. 
as they um, seek to love you and to love their families, Lord. Amen.